Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. Center, it sounds very huge and elevated, and that's what it feels like. Like once you're working there, because rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and musical theater. It was about something that shook musical theater. People are becoming more and more comfortable with you know issues of people being different. I mean, we do it all. I mean, you know, we don't we don't back away from anything. Welcome back to Broadway Bullet, Volume 127. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and we are continuing with our Nymph coverage. This is Volume 3. That's the New York Musical Theater Festival, for those of you new. And if you're new to the program, make sure you subscribe to Broadway Bullet in iTunes or through a podcast aggregator of your choice, and you won't miss an episode. It's easy. Just search Broadway Bullet at iTunes or go to broadwaybullet.com. We've got a bonus episode this week because we just had too much to squeeze in. You know, we had some extra stuff besides NIM stuff we really wanted to get out. So if you catch the bonus episode for Volume 127, you'll catch an interview with Drew Sarek, currently playing the lead, uh, Valjean, in Les Mis. And we've also got Matthew Morrison and uh, A.C. Ciula to talk about their performance uh, involvement in the performance of The Benefit Chess to take place in Los Angeles, and they also talk about their careers. And we've got the playwright of the new play, You May Go Now, so a lot of stuff there you want to check out. In this episode, we've got a lot of great stuff. Some stars, a bit of everything involved with Nymph. We're going to be talking with people involved with the shows Tully, in no particular order, Sympathy Jones, Family Fiorello, Virtuosa, The Brain from Planet X, and we got a whole lot more on the positive side and everything. we got music, we got performances, so let's not wait. Let's get the program rolling. On the boards. There's only one name in the title, so I'm a bit confused by Tully in no particular order. But it is a new show at the New York Musical Theater Festival, and I'm sure we're going to find out some of the meaning behind that mystic title here. We've got Adam Hose, who is playing the title character, along with Kate Rockwell and Austin Miller joining us to talk about Tully in no particular order. How are you guys doing? Great, hey, great, great. Thanks for having us. <laughs> so uh, first off, I, I think we're supposed to ask you this, Adam. <laughs> what is Tully about? Tully is, uh, it's inspired by poetry of Catullus. Catullus was a Roman poet from 84 to 54 BC. and I can tell already we're going to have tons of names to misspell in the transcription. <laughs> right, right. Catullus, C-A-T-U-L-L-U-S. Catullus was this amazing, like, rebel poet who... His poetry went lost for decades and, and, and years and years and years. And finally, when they found his poetry, they found out this guy was, like, kind of crazy. And he wrote about himself and his friends and, and his lovers and, like, kind of different than every other poet was writing. They were writing about politics and philosophy. And Catullus was one of the first to really bring poetry to a, uh, a real personal level. And so, and when his poems were published... They're published sort of all out of order, hence Tully in no particular order. Our play sets up uh, Tully, who is basically Catullus, 
and we discover at the beginning of the play that he has forgotten everything. And the audience sort of takes this journey with him to figure out what he's forgotten and why he's forgotten it. So you, you learn all about his love triangle that he was in. You learn all about uh, his best friends who are sort of goof-offs and his sister who sort of looked down at him his whole life. And uh, Catullus was only 30 when he died, so it's a really young, sort of fresh view at this crazy uh, rebel poetry that happened way back in, you know, in ancient Rome. That's fascinating. I haven't read that far in the script. <laughs> this is a revelation for me. Well, it's going to be more fun than I thought. <laughs> it's a happy-go-lucky play with tap dance numbers and That's right. Austin, Austin swore that he's going to tap dance a little. I, well, I had to beg. Yeah. I was like, please. He will be the only one tap dancing as well. Sure. <laughs> tap dancing. Kate and I just make out. We're not going to really whole tap show. dance. Whole <laughs> Pretty show. much. And this is a musical I, I can understand from the, as we were talking, you know, before getting started, that this is a, a complex musical show that's really good for those fans of real intricate, you know, complex musical scores, like maybe Michael John Lachiza, I'm guessing. Right. It's, uh, first of all, Stephanie Johnstone, the composer and lyricist, and Joshua William Gelb, who wrote the book, and additional lyrics, and who's also directing, probably are the smartest two people I've ever met. Mm. They're... Sometimes, no offense, Josh and Stephanie, when you listen to this, sometimes it's hard to talk to them. They're so smart. and They're very deep. And, and so their writing, Stephanie's score is just, it's gorgeous. It's so beautiful. There's a harp. I get accompanied by a harp, which I never thought that I would get accompanied by a harp. And honestly, how many musicals have a harp score right. in them anymore? It's, it's just really, really beautiful and really intricate, and there's... there's uh, there's just so much going on, and the audience is really going to have to pay attention. I mean, it's one of these shows that, you know, it sort of skips around a little bit, and you've got to figure out, oh, I thought he was in love with that girl. Why is he making out with that guy? There's lots of things that you've got to figure out. In <laughs> Quite literally, actually. That's, that is a plot question. Right. So, it's yeah, it's, it's not, really intricate. It's really, um, it's just beautiful. Yeah, it's not your, I think, traditional Broadway um Light, happy, shiny, everything. You know, it's it's dark. There's another and it's show deep. that's quite the opposite, but we'll get into that later. Uh oh. <laughs> uh oh. Oh boy. Yep. Yeah. It always goes there. It but always goes would. there. I don't know what you guys are talking about. But yeah, it's 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 deep and it's beautiful and it's inspiring and it's it's not happy and and you know bright and bubbly. It's it's actually a lot more. Um, I don't want to say like real life because that makes me sound like a pessimist, but um, you know it's deep and it, it is going to require some attention from the audience. Yeah, but fortunately, it's really fast. It is fast. <laughs> it's fast. Yeah. It's what an hour and forty. Hour. Yeah. Hour it's 40. short. Yes. That is good information for those of us who mm -hmm. get tired sitting on you know. But um, we should take this moment. We've been talking about the music. We should hear one of the songs from this and. Uh, as I understand, Adam, you sing on this demo that we're Right, yeah, here. this is, uh, the song's called My Words Won't Come, and this is Tully's, this is sort of like uh, his explosion of what in the hell is going on in my life? Why am, why do I have this love triangle? Uh, why can't I think of what to write anymore? He's sort of losing his ability to write poetry, and so his words won't come to him because of this female and, and this male that are in his life and sort of uh, really just messing with him. So this is my words won't come. All right, let's take a I could stick with Grecian prototypes and apomeric falderall and comfortably rely upon cliché. 
I could drink a healing opiate for chemical inspiring so my mess to plus itself can float away. I could study my Pythagoras and la-di-da through olive groves and what the heck relocate to Bombay. I could kill myself and put me out of misery for good but then would anybody notice who's to say? Still the only words that come her words of Claudia. Claudia, soul of my own soul, Claudia, gorgeous, rich, Claudia, her inconstant word, Claudia, what a bitch, I can guess what she is thinking, illustrious her and expendable me, but poetry like we had is so precious, not so simply trash can she see Claudia Get out of my mouth, get out of my skin, get out of my gut, and most of all, get out of my pen, because till then my words won't come. Am I just pretending I'm the desperate pole with longing for romantic exploitation? A deluded little poet whose little words get swallowed and drowned. The dreamer poet, supposing that his poems really matter. Or the devastated poet who can't even get it up, get it down, I mean on paper. I can't get it down, I mean, I mean, I mean, get out of my head, out of my heart, out of my groan, get out of my mouth, out of my skin, get out of my gut, get out of my breath, get out of my blood, get out of my life, get out of my soul. My pen, because till then, my words, my precious words, my words won't come. All right, so. Kate and Austin. I've got a note here that you were on like some reality show like Survivor 42nd Street. Yes, that's, yes, what it that's was. exactly what it yeah. was. <laughs> Broadway Survivor. Yeah. <laughs> that is such a good description. Nobody's Actually. that's pretty original. Nobody's mm-hmm. ever said that. Mm-mm. That's new. <laughs> Thank you for being clever in the morning. <laughs> so, yeah, we did a show. I'm pretty sure that we have some, you know. About devout fans of the show, you're the one that I want that listen to this, and we probably have a lot of people who like uh, publicly state how much they hate it and secretly taped every sure. episode or T-voted. There, yeah. there are a lot of those. There are a lot of those. I didn't watch the show, but can I have your autograph? Yeah. Oh yeah, I didn't watch that show. So what do you think about the rest of that? <laughs> yeah. My mom watched the show and loved it. She just raves about these two like they're they hung the moon. Who did so. she vote for? That's, uh, that's she the question. <laughs> I mean, she only votes for American Idol. I don't think she votes for you're the one that I vote. Okay, all right. You know, Safe answer. <laughs> yeah. I've said before, I, I, I'm not a particular fan of reality shows, but I also don't. I also think that all the criticism aimed at the show is kind of unfounded. I personally don't find this any worse way of auditioning than for, you know, a cattle call. And, and the thing, I don't find it any personally any more fake or contrived. I just personally 
hate the stretching. I can't watch American <laughs> Idol just swing. It's like, God, tell us. Just tell us who's the winner is. I don't care five minutes. Go to one side, go to the other. Well, it was a, a completely <laughs> different process than any other Broadway audition I've been in for in the yeah, yeah. last year and a half. Much, so. much, much, much longer. M- more difficult. <laughs> yeah. And much, yeah, much harder. I mean, it was... Psychologically, certainly. Yeah, right. a very trying and very emotional and, and of course, stressful because y'all sat there for half an hour and waited and we sat there for six hours and waited. <laughs> So it was pretty terrifying most of the time, but, you know, ultimately it was another opportunity to do another job, and the show itself was a job, so I consider myself... It was a good job. Yeah, it was a good job. It was a good job. The best thing was on Sunday mornings we'd have a dress rehearsal, and we had to have a fake elimination on Sunday morning. (laughs) So So we'd draw all these names out of a hat and have this big lottery about who was going to get eliminated, and where am I going to stand on stage, you know, to see... When you when you leave and all this stuff, and we would drive it ourselves insane We're trying you to deduce to all these puzzles. Like, oh, oh my god, I'm on I'm on four stage right, so that means I'm going home. And, uh, <laughs> that would be the whole day Sunday. It was now, crazy. Granted, there were several times where the person who was chosen out of the hat did get sent home, yeah. so that didn't I mean, help with I don't us know at all. If like all those slips of paper had the same name on them, right. but uh, <laughs> that did happen more in than fact, once. In fact, there was only one guy named and one girl named in the hat, and it just made it look like we right. Were. Exactly. They pulled the wool on over. I our actually eyes. think I rehearsed going home the day I went home. Did you? I think I did. Yeah. It Austin was. Never went home. Right. <laughs> Till the end. Till the end. Yeah. Has it helped out with auditioning to post the show? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, it's a chance for at least some of us who, you know, didn't have a lot of street credit in the New York field. I mean, I, I now I do. People know who I am, and that's helped a lot. And I've, um, I've been able to go in for a lot of things that probably would have taken me another two years to even be seen for. You know, before I was going in for the covers, and now I'm going in for the roles. And um, that's... That's a huge step in my career, and I attribute a lot of it to the show and just being able to get my name out there. And so, yeah, I think it was definitely a, a big career boost. Yeah. Listen, I personally think it's a good thing too. It's nice to have you know some people who want to do theater as a primary thing, getting some exposure and then yeah. getting some roles rather than a producer going to Eric Estrada for another casting. <laughs> we were actually we were actually uh, Michael Height, the producer, and I were talking about seeing if we could come up with a Tully, you're the one that I want <laughs> for next season, and uh, it's, I think it's in the work, right, Michael? He's nodding. Jeez, really. <laughs> his head, his hands. <laughs> Oh, so getting kind of back to Tully and uh, the festival stuff here, uh, you know, the, like we've discussed about, this is a nice, melodic, complex show for people who, you know, are of that mindset, and there are many of them, and I think it's a genre that's been overlooked in this, you know, last five, six years of a lot of hairsprays and the light, you know, right. fun fluff. Don't so, talk bad about hairspray. Paid the bills for years. <laughs> It's a front to back. I like I like Grease. I like Hairspray. Mm-hmm. I like Into the Woods. I like Assassins. It's a, you know there's a right. a wide variety. I think of stuff mm-hmm. stuff for everybody. God, it would be a boring world if it was all the same. That's <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. yeah. So, what have been some of the biggest challenges so far? You've only just been rehearsing this for a few days, but um, Adam Anderson, you've been with this with this a little longer. Yeah, we did a workshop back in the fall. Um, I think the biggest challenge uh, really is just like the volume of material that we have. It's a it's a lot of material. Um, and it is really complex. So it's to me, it's one of the harder scores I've ever read. Uh, as you could hear from the song, my my songs are very pattery and a lot of words, and um, it's it's really uh, for me, it's very difficult. But it's also a really tough journey to go on. This guy is uh, he's self-deprecating and he's he's 
he beats himself up and he eventually uh, well I'm not going to tell you what happens at the end but he <laughs> he has he has a tough go at it and, there's uh, a reveal in the show isn't there there is a reveal uh, so <laughs> it just uh, I mean the audience really gets to take that journey I mean I remember sitting in the workshop or doing the workshop and feeling like the audience was like literally on stage and and we're at the Sage Theater of uh, uh, between 47th and 48th on 7th Avenue. Uh, <laughs> and, and the Sage Theater is a small, it's a really intimate space. It's a long space, but um, the audience is really going to feel like they're on this journey with us because they're going to feel like they're basically sitting on stage. Fantastic. So it's at the Sage, and this is September 20th through 28th? Yep. Right. Yes. Seven performances. Yep. And everybody can get all the specific times at nymph.org. And, uh, well, I thank you guys so much for stopping down. Kate Rockwell, Austin Miller, Adam Hose with Tully in no particular order. I wish you the best of luck with your run, and thanks so much for chatting with us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. On the boards. The spy genre gets a definite feminine touch-up in the new musical Sympathy Jones at Nymph, and we have Sarah Gerfield, Masia Seri, and Kate Schindel here to talk about us. How are you doing? Hi. Hi. Y'all want to introduce yourselves and say what you do so people can connect your names with your voices? Sure. I'm Masi. Uh, I am the composer lyricist on the show, and uh, my fabulous collaborator I should just give a shout-out to is Brooke Pierce on the book. Fantastic. I'm Sarah Gerfield. I'm the director. I'm Kate Schindel, and I play Sympathy Jones, super secret spy. Yes. <laughs> Kate, welcome back. You were just here a couple weeks ago. I know. I'm so, about... I'm so excited. I feel like I've, I feel like this is my hangout. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we'll start with kind of the basic question. What is Sympathy Jones? What is Sympathy Jones? Well, it's really, uh, it's kind of two things at once. It's like you're saying, we are, we are doing a take on the spy genre. But at the same time, it's um, in the vein of a classic musical. It's really the story of a girl who has a dream. She wants to be a star. But in the case of our story, she wants to be a star spy. <laughs> and uh, uh, Sympathy is a receptionist at a spy agency. She has dreams of being promoted, and she just gets passed over time and time again. So when a top secret file is left on her desk, she just seizes the opportunity and quote-unquote, borrows it and goes undercover to save the day. I like how you said quote-unquote and made air quotes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For the listeners at home, right. that was really, <laughs> she, can follow she doubled that. up. There you go. It's pretty intense. Um, you know, I, I think one of the things I like about the show is that it feels incredibly relevant. You know, it's set in the 60s. It's very period. It's very sort of silly in some ways. But it's definitely also a story about a girl finding her power which is, I think, a really good kind of story to tell. And, you know, certainly even though we're many years removed from the period the show is set in, we still have a lot of instances where women are underestimated or they're told to sort of go sit in the corner and look pretty and get coffee. Um, and some women are fine with that, and some aren't. You know, some mm -hmm. want something more out of life. So um, I think that it's there's definitely something for contemporary audiences to connect with, and, uh, and the music's great. If I may Thanks. say, <laughs> and the cast is with the, with the theme and stuff you're talking about, I'm going to bring out uh, something that I didn't bring up in the last interview, ah. which is how does that tie in with Cross your pageantry past? <laughs> uh, it's it's yeah the pageantry yeah. stuff yeah I mean it's it's exactly because you were Miss America. Miss I was Miss America. Yes. People are always scared that they're going to say the wrong one and then, like, <laughs> leap on them. <laughs> but I don't move that fast. Um, anyway, uh, y you know what? It's funny. I I really. Miss America, that whole thing feels like it happened to a different person. I mean, I was 20, you know, mm -hmm. I did a lot of great stuff for the year and a lot of, like, activism and speaking. And But at the same time, 
you know, I just sort of pulled it out of the drawer the other day and went, wait a minute, this is pretty much a parallel experience because I've, you know, I spent a year being a really sort of hardcore AIDS activist and being aggressive about that and talking to kids and lobbying Congress and like really not sort of sitting in a drugstore signing autographs. But when you meet people, they think you spend all your time sitting in a drugstore signing autographs, wearing a crown, I might add. (laughs) Um, And, you know, to sort of feel like you have to prove yourself over and over and over again every time you meet a new person was sort of exhausting but necessary, um, I think. And Isn't it the same as acting? you got to prove yourself mm-hmm. every night you get on stage. It's different because people don't expect you to walk into the room and be a bad actor. People like if people, <laughs> so there are some people who expect if you walk into the room and you're Miss America, you're not just an idiot. You're also a bad person because you're holding other women down. When I actually found that it was a huge asset in developing a voice and an identity as a young female. So it's basically the opposite of what a lot of people expect. All right. We're going to continue a little bit more, but before we get into talking a little bit more about the show, uh, Masi, I understand you're going to give us like a little mini backers audition for the show. <laughs> yes. Here. Yes. It's my pleasure. Um, well, I just wanted to uh, do a little bit of music to give a sense for the style of the show. I mean, we're definitely rooted in the 60s idiom. We've got sort of a Shirley Bassey type number. Um, at the top, very James Bond-esque. And um, then we sort of go into uh, what becomes sort of Sympathy's I Am song or I Want song, um, where we hear her, you know, going through the day-to-day at the office and what it's like, and um, we hear, you know, what her real dream is. So. All right. So we, thought, we start the show uh, at a press conference on a dark and mysterious evening, as all spies shows should. And uh, Henry Ossel is giving a press conference, uh, explaining his watch when all of a sudden things are not quite as they should be, and there's a sound of glass breaking and a scream. And all of a sudden we are swirling into a nightclub and the seedy world of 1960s espionage. And at the nightclub, there's a singer. Time will tell Truth is hard to measure But a clock is a treasure Cold and precise Time will tell Time whose hands discover More than any lover will taunt you for time never lies and we have a couple scenes in there we meet the villainous and see they're up to no good at all our number one agent is injured in the chase and so the next day at the agency we meet our heroine Every day I come to work at 9.07 Type the memos Pour the coffee Sort the mail Every day I come to work and Hope to heaven Today is different But it's all to know 
time it's 9.15 Here's my life Same old scene Same sorry tale And she goes about the business of her everyday receptionist life Finding out her best friend just got transferred And she's still stuck in the office Every day, well all day long I keep on thinking what if today my life could change? The simple facts could rearrange. I'd be in this office, but not in this chair. Stand in the doorway, but facing out there while some other typist is left to prepare a new confidential file. It says Sympathy Jones, super secret agent. She conquers disaster in the flash of an eye. Sympathy Jones, super secret agent. She's a dangerous woman. Spy, if your point of view is criminal, Miss Jones will correct it. She's like a message so subliminal. You'll never suspect it. And she gets interrupted in her daydream, and uh, we, we find out what happens later on. Kidding. So, Masi, you're supposed to be a bad singer. You're <laughs> not supposed to be able to sing. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think that, you know, I, I don't know. I'm definitely more of a singer than a, than a pianist or, or an orchestrator or anything like that. So I, there's a lot of melody in the show. So that's where I come from. That's my approach to it. I sing everything. And then I change the keys for the guys' songs. So. <laughs> Masi also has a vocal studio. And you might want to check out the details on her website, Absolutely. which is M-A-S-I-A-S-A-R-E.com. Thanks so much, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sarah, what have been some of your challenges in uh, directing the show? Um, some of the challenges, well, doing the festivals in general, it's tough. You're, you're in a, a rep situation, essentially, in terms of the plot, in terms of your storage, you're sharing with a bunch of other companies. Um, but Nymph has been great about getting us as much information as they can ahead of time. Um, something that wasn't a challenge at all was casting this show. We have an amazing, amazing cast. In addition to the talented Miss Schindel, we have, <laughs> we have Megan Lawrence, uh, Tony nominee Megan Lawrence, playing Kitty Hawk, the evil villainess. Um, and she just tears it up. She's fantastic. And we have Charlie Pollock as David, uh, Sympathy's sort of almost maybe partner in crime. Um, and we have Glenn Peters playing Kitty's henchman TikTok. It's just a, a phenomenal group of people. Um, um, and we have Jimmy Bennett. Oh, don't even get me started I on Jimmy Bennett. Will remember. Jimmy Bennett is playing Nick Steele. He's sort of like James Bond on crack. It's yep. really funny. Um, he's a, a brilliant uh, comedian. He comes from an improv background. And we spend probably 50% of our rehearsal time just laughing at whatever he does. And the other 50% trying not to laugh. Exactly. <laughs> Barely or, or keeping Kate. a straight face. Oh I my do God. not envy Kate having to be up on that stage with Jimmy and not just laugh it's all, all the time. about lack of eye contact. If I just don't right. look at him, don't I'm look, usually okay. Don't but look directly at Jimmy. <laughs> He's like the sun. Exactly. <laughs> um, but no, we've we've had a wonderful experience thus far. And um, we open Eek, nail bites. We open on, sep no, September 24th. Yes. Yeah, that's two and a half weeks from now. I have to yes. go. Kate sent me a very, very terrified text the other night that was like, um, we open in three weeks. Did you know that? What theater are you playing at? Uh, we're playing at the Julia Miles space, um, which is at the Women's Project on 55th, right oh, across from Albany. Oh, exactly. Very appropriate. It's a great space. We're very, very mm -hmm. lucky to be there. 
I want to just really quick, it'll save some time in news, since you just happened to pop in the day hmm. the news was released. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Legally Blonde is going to be, actually, is yeah. it going to be filming it for MTV? Yeah. Yeah, we just found out last week, and it was it was a firestorm of activity at the palace, because there was a question of whether the cast was going to have to vote, and like... You never know how actors are going to respond to really, really good news. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I think it's amazing. I mean, you know, there were some concerns. Well, doesn't it hurt ticket sales if people can see it on TV for free? And all I can say is we have four very smart lead producers. And if they're not worried about it, I'm not worried about it. And I think that people are going to see it on TV and then want to see it live. I, I personally agree. I think yeah. more exposure that gets out for theater and shows <clears throat> in general yeah. mm-hmm. helps. And when you're paying a hundred bucks a ticket, people don't want to go to an unknown commodity. I think. Sure. I think they want to go. I saw that on MTV. Now yeah. I want to go mm-hmm. see it live. Well, Absolutely. and people are talking about the comparisons with High School Musical, and I also think, um, you know, when Dave Matthews puts out a concert CD or DVD, people don't stop going to Dave Matthews shows. In fact, it makes them want to go more. So I think it's a good fit for MTV. I'm really excited. I think that you know. This has sort of been starting to swirl a little. I think the actors are being more than fairly compensated, and I think it's going to be great for all of us. So, sorry, I didn't mean to get into the drama. But <laughs> got a little scoop. That's all right. Well, uh, Sarah Gerfield, Masi Asari, Kate Schindel, I thank you so much. Did I get it right? You got it. was perfect. perfect. I thank you so much for coming down to talk about thank Sympathy you. Jones. Uh, the, the spy stuff, you got to go down and see it. Starts. Uh, September 24th goes to October 4th and uh, you can find out more at nymph.org at broadwaybolt.com and thanks so much for stopping down and, and... Sympathy Jones uh, sympathyjones.com okay yes mm-hmm. excellent thank, thank you. you thank you the call board Boar's Head Theater of Lansing, Michigan presents Bernard Shaw's Mrs. Warren starling Paula Prentice opposite her daughter Prentice Benjamin the production directed by James Glossman associate director of the Playwrights Theater of New Jersey will begin previews on September 5th with the September 7th opening also, Intamin Theater of Seattle has extended the run of To Kill a Mockingbird, the fourth production in its five-year American Cycle series. Originally slated to close, the show has opened its run to November 3rd. Tickets are available by visiting www.intamon.org. And to conclude, 40 years ago, the Tribal American Musical Hair opened. Now, 40 years later, the Public Theater offers three nights of hair in concert to celebrate. The production, directed by Diane Paulus, will run September 22nd, 23rd, 24th at 7 p.m. at Joe's Pub in the Park. Tickets to this one-time-only event are available through the Public Theater. Also, the call board is sponsored by, well, me. I've got a recording studio here in Times Square, so if you're looking to record something, we do musical theater, but we also do pop rock, R&B, specialize in vocals and a lot of instrumentals. And it's convenient right here in Times Square. My rates are pretty reasonable. If you or you know somebody who's looking to record, just uh, give me a buzz at 646-345-3433 or drop me an email at info at broadwaybullet.com. On the boards. Well, everybody knows that wine and theater go together, so why not put them together? Uh, the family Fiorelli is centered around a wine savant and is playing at the New York Musical Theater Festival. And we have the writers and director here with us. How are you guys doing? Great, great. How are you doing? Good. <laughs> we got a crowd, so why don't you guys introduce yourselves so people can connect your names with your voice? I'm Alistair uh, William King. I'm a composer, uh, and uh, it's a contemporary rock score that I've written for this piece. And this guy is. I'm Fred Anthony Marco. I wrote the book and the lyrics. And I'm Bob Bartley. I'm the director of this uh, wonderful piece. <laughs> All right. So first off, the basics. Kind of what is the family Fiorelli about? 
Well, it's a contemporary story about a family that lives on a North Fork of Long Island on their vineyard. A mother and a father, Benno and Lydia, and they're two boys. They have a 14-year-old son who's a karate kid with a mild case of cerebral palsy. And they have a nine-year-old son, Antonio, who's a wine savant. That means he can just take a glass of wine, smell it, possibly taste it, and he can identify it from any place on the earth. And they're struggling uh, to make a go of it on their vineyard. It's really, it's really about, a, uh, if I might interject, it's, it's really about a, a very, very strong Italian family fighting to come back together. Uh, I mean, that's been the key for us in, in rehearsals. Uh, it's really about the family unit and also what makes a family. It's uh, an extended family, not just including these people. And um, it's really the choices we make to be a family in our lives versus uh, other things that we want to go to do. And I think every one of the characters is kind of struggling with some sort of issue at this point in time, and, and it's kind of how they all come together with it in the end. It's, mm -hmm. yeah. And how they all contribute to each other's stories to, um, yeah. to stay a family. <laughs> stay a family. Yes. And in case of the, the lesbian sister and her lover and their baby, to make a family, to define a family. So. As we tell the cast, everybody in the show uh, is the title character. <laughs> Well, that would make sense. Well, why don't we really quickly here take a listen to one of the songs that you brought in from your demo. Great. You want to set this one up? Sure. This is um, a song called uh, Turn the Other Cheek, and it's uh, three of the characters, and they're in separate uh, realities. The first person you hear singing is um, uh, Martin. He's the 14-year-old karate kid, and he's just been humiliated by a bully over a girl. The second person you hear singing is uh, Father Michael, who's just been humiliated by his Monsignor. And the third person you hear singing is Ben Nofiorelli, who's uh, just been cuckolded. <laughs> and they all are sharing the same sentiment. Okay. Turn the other cheek. Take it in your stride. I'm maxed out on being meek. I want to let out. What's inside? It's tough being raised to be Mr. Benign Tough to go really wild It's tough when your folks make you calm by design Tough when you're born to be mild When I take a good honest look in my heart It's tough to admit how I feel Start thinking of lean and bars. I'm telling you, here's the real deal. I don't want a reason or make an appeal. I don't want to say it might pass. I don't want to think about how we might feel. I just want to kick some ass. That's the thing to do Well, I'm maxed out on being meek I wanna tell his grace Screw you It's tough when you lead a role model's life But that's how they see you at least it's tough when your job's to be calm under strife. I mean, how do you break out your beast? 
When I take a look at my life's chosen work, I'm ashamed to admit how I feel. But when I start thinking of Monsignor Berg, I'm telling you, here's a real deal. But the boys look to him, so I just got to eat. It should respawn from my brain, not react from my glands. Wanna dole out some pain, gotta sit on my hands. I'll just stay remote, but Christ, do I itch for a knife to the throat of that son of a bitch? No! Turn the other cheek, my family's at stake. Not her fault if he is weak. Oh, give me a fucking break. I don't want to reason or rationalize. I don't want to say it will pass. I don't want to look that guy in the eyes. I just want to kick some ass. everybody wants to know with this musical is how much research on the wine did you guys do <laughs> well we do love the drink no so too much last night yeah. <laughs> we actually, we we actually, actually brought one, one of the kids brought uh, ice cream to rehearsal yesterday yeah. and it was made with Kahlua and uh, <laughs> the four children in the show seemed to devour it so uh, yeah. not that we're advocating that <laughs> Now, you're talking about one of the main characters here is a wine savant. So, yes. Uh, are there a lot of these? What What is this? Uh... I don't think there were any. <laughs> okay, so this is a, a, this is a Yes, absolutely. His, in, in the play, his father, Benno, has been training his palate, he says, since he was old enough to say red and white. So, um, I guess a lot of people don't know that wine experts really, it's just a highly developed skill. We could all do it. It's just like an athlete, you have to train and train and train and you just develop your sense of smell and taste and well i've heard there's like food critics who can tell which batch an oreo is cooked in you know and they, they can uh, <laughs> so they, there you go same thing yeah, yeah. i mean we have, actually have a scene where um it's revealed that this nine-year-old can taste the difference between a sauterne grown on the finger lakes region uh the difference between um a vintage grown on the east facing slopes where the sun hits it and on the west-facing slope. So they're out there. These freaks are out there. <laughs> and we've made one. And it's nine. Yeah, he can't swallow the wine. That's right. No. He cannot no. swallow the wine. 
So yeah. then how large is this cast? Ten people. Pretty yeah. large for a show. Big raucous Italian family. It's great. It's great. So, um, Robert, what have been some of your challenges putting this together, you know, in a limited schedule and stuff? For well, certainly casting, uh, using... Uh, children because you know there's ch child labor laws and uh, also we damn are, them child labor. I know yeah. get to get work, work. <laughs> <laughs> um, sing <laughs> sing damn it uh, but also because school has just started so we are dealing with school schedules which is which is always rough but um, we have four terrific kids and and they're all very professional and uh, and tearing into it we, we have the boy from um, actually two of the boys from Carolina change Sai Adamowski and Harrison Chatter are playing our two sons, and uh, they're terrific. And um, they just, uh, they, they really enjoy the work process, which is what, what I like. And uh, we've got a great camaraderie in the cast, which I think will really come across in the show, in the making of the family, Fiorelli. All right, well, let's play this next song here from your demo. Uh, you want to set this up? Sure, this is uh, the aforementioned Freak. Antonio, the wine savant, and uh, this is sort of the end of the first act, and he, the family's kind of falling apart, and he does the best thing th that he can the, uh, to, he bargains with St. Jude to keep the family together. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, so St. Jude, it's me again, guess you've heard. Mom's gone to stay in our house by the lake While Dad lives with Martin and me They both keep on saying It's nobody's fault but St. Jude Dude Even a bodhead could see I took out the trash every Tuesday at five. Stop scratching my rash, kept my hamsters alive. If I weeded the walk or watered the ficus, then maybe mom would like us to stay a family. I stop chugging OJ straight from the carton If I pushed Martin's wheelchair or stood up to Barton If I knew what to say when Dad cries at the sink We'd find a way, I think, to stay She heard word. So here's what I'm thinking. Say I take Sister Hadley's new rosary class. 
Don't cut silent but deadlies during high mass. Then would fifty your fathers and all the Marias. They be guarantee us we'd stay a family. See, cause here's the thing. Just like sticking my paper cut into the salt or ignoring the cross guard when she's screaming halt the end of our family I know it's my fault it's my fault so I'll scrub dad's white walls until there's no grime I'll play bocce with Nono I mean all the time St. Jude, you just name it But don't forget I'm counting on you Lord, Miss So please tell me what to do To stay off So now we need all the like good info. What is your show playing? Where is it at? We're at the TBG Theater, which is at 312 West 36th Street on the third floor. We open on September 27th, and we close on October 6th. All right. So, yeah. you know, everybody has their six dates. People can go to the nymph.org website, or they'll probably right. yes. find links yeah. for more information on the specific times. Grab yes. a bottle of wine and come on down. Yes. <laughs> And uh, I thank you very much again, Fred Anthony Marco, Alistair William King, and Robert Bartley. Thanks for coming down and talking about the family Fiorelli. Thank you. Thanks for having us. On the boards. Clara Schulman is the subject of the new musical Virtuosa, which is quite different in its structure and scope. And we have producer Andrew Levine and playwright Diane Seymour here to discuss the show, which is taking place at Nymph, September 19th to the 20th. How are you guys doing? Great. Great. Good. Hi. So I guess first off uh, is what is Virtuosa? It sounds quite uh, intriguing and different. Virtuosa, I call it a musical theater piece. That's why it's in the Musical Theater Festival. But it's not a typical musical by any means. Um, it incorporates music written in the Romantic period. And it's the life of Clara Schumann, who was a virtuosa, a child prodigy, in the 1800s in Europe. She was German. Her father was a tyrant, and he from the time she was like a baby, got her ready to be a virtuosa. She traveled Europe. And um, the famous composer Robert Schumann was brought into her house when she was about nine. And they, be they fell in love. And of course, the father didn't want that to happen. And it's, a, it's quite a romantic story. She's involved with Brahms. She's involved with Robert Schumann. Even Mendelssohn came to her house. And she was really like the toast of Europe. It's a fascinating story, but what it is is two women portraying both sides, all sides of Clara, the performer, the musician, and the woman. And um, so it's really not sung music per se, it's spoken over 
piano music. Well, I imagine possibly one of the best ways to illustrate this is to play a short segment from the show that you have for us. Do you want to set this up at all? Well, this is the key moment in Act One where Clara, who's been all her life been lorded over by her father, um, finally breaks free and um, has to go and perform in Europe, in Paris, by herself. Uh, her father has always set her up. He's been her manager. He's taken her all over Europe. This is the first time. She's 19 years old. He says, go, do it on your own. If you're going to go with Robert Schumann, then I'm not going to be your slave anymore. And she really doesn't know if she can do it, but this is the moment where she sort of gathers her strength and shows her father she can do it. All right. I'm wasting time. Enough. Oh, Paris is a tundra this winter. Oh, my fingers ever warm up. Come, I must practice a bit before they open the doors. Oh, Father, watch as I show you how much more than music I learned at your knee. Watch as I shall summon up that famous iron will of yours and play. Play as Paris has never heard before. Play brilliantly, as is expected of a royal and imperial virtuosa. So, Diane, I, I imagine this is a, a work of passion for you, you know, the delving this much into one performer. What kind of brought you into the world of Clara Schumann? It's interesting. I didn't know anything about her. A uh, pianist, woman who want, a pianist actress, asked me to write a one-woman show about her. And in the course of doing the research, that woman decided she didn't want to be an actress anymore <laughs> and dropped out of the project. So I continued. I was so fascinated by this woman who was, we call her um, a 21st century woman in the 19th century because she was facing all the problems we face as women today. We've, she, was, she, had, she gave birth eight times. She had seven kids. She was married to this artist. She had to support herself and her family when Robert started to go <laughs> he'd go mad he actually ended up in an asylum I mean her story was so incredibly fascinating and romantic and then Brahms came into the house and babysat her kids and Brahms the famous also romantic composer so I, I couldn't believe that this story existed and that nobody had done anything with it at the, up to the, that point so I just kept going and I figured we're not going to get an actress pianist who can do it all. So we, we broke the, 
the character into two parts. So we have a pianist portraying the the artist side of Clara, and we have the actress portraying the person side of Clara. Now this has received a couple productions already. Um, Andrew, have you been involved as a producer from the beginning, or are you just stepping in now? I'm actually stepping in now. Um, Diane and I have been working on the piece since um, this past November. We did a reading of it in January. And um, and then I met, I uh, ran into Isaac Hurwitz, the executive producer for Nymph, um, at a recent uh, gathering of emerging Broadway composers. And he said, I'm looking for a small piece for the festival. And I said, well, I've got something that is quite unique. And it's not a musical per se, but it is as much about music and text working together to tell a story as, as anything. And so through discussions, he said, yeah, I think we would like to have something like this in the festival. Now, this is, uh, this is just running a few days because uh, with all the technical things going on with Nymph, you have to bring in a grand piano. Which right. <laughs> We're in a 99-seat house in the 45th Street Theater. So the grand piano take a path to the theater? <laughs> well, it's, it's a good-sized stage, luckily, but they don't want to have to move that piano in and out. So we're going to run consecutive performances, 8 p.m. Wednesday, 12 noon Thursday, and 4 p.m. Thursday, which is such a marathon for the two performers. I'm praying they take their vitamins ahead of time. <laughs> because it's going to be quite a, <laughs> quite a tour de force for both of them. So uh, what got you involved as a producer, Andrew? Uh, earlier in life, I trained as a pianist. And so um, I was playing some Schumann. I was reading diaries that Robert and Clara kept in, during the first four years of their life. And I said, this is a great story. And like all good things that happen, I was not looking for a play about them, and I found it. I, I ran into Diane. We started to talk about um, um, real estate that I was looking for in the city. And she said, oh, I'm a playwright. I said, well, what have you written? She said, I've written a piece about Robert uh, and uh, Clara Schumann. I said, really? I'd like to see that. So uh, I was very, very taken with it. And... Um, just really um, interested in showing the power of instrumental music um, to communicate. And when I, when I, w I went to Manhattan School of Music, and when I was there, um, any time uh, a great pianist like Vladimir Horowitz or Arthur Rubinstein would come into town, we would line up just like it was a rock concert. And the excitement of that uh, concert was, was tangible and palpable. And, and, and that's what Clara was like. She was like a rock star. And so here it was a piece that I could really show all the sides of um, my life, and uh, it was a great connection for me. All right. So now, who are the actresses portraying the musician and the and will playing both sides of Clara in this production? Well, I'll start with the pianist because she and I go back a ways. Um, we wrote a musical together. Her name is Alison Brewster Franzetti, and she's been um, nominated for Grammys. She's a concert pianist also a composer herself, and are married to a, a fairly well-known Argentinian composer, Carlos Franzetti. And um, so she, and, she helped me with the music from way back. She helped me find the right pieces. She, she's just a, a fount of knowledge, and she knows everything about that period. So she, we wove the pieces together just as we had written songs together, where I was lyricist and she was composer. Now we were using spoken text, and she would underscore it. She'd pick the right piece. She'd do a lot of cuts. So these are excerpts. Nothing is fully played. But there are performance moments where you just step back in the play and just let her shine as a pianist because she's really great. 
And um, recently we found the actress, Katrina Ferguson, and she has done a lot of leading ladies. I needed someone who had classical background, you know, someone who could really hold stage because there's nobody else on stage except these two people the whole time. She plays, she plays many people in the show. She plays herself, she plays her father, she plays Robert, and she plays Brahms. So you need somebody who could really become those other characters realistically. She also plays herself from the time she's 11 years old all the way up to 59. So you have to, <laughs> you really have to have a range, you know, you really have to uh, be able to feel comfortable on stage and just don't hold back. And she's that kind of actress. So. All right, so people have three performances to catch the show on September 19th to the 20th. Mm -hmm. And uh, what theater is that at? 45th Street Theater. Okay, and you can find out more information at nymph.org or at broadwaybullet.com. And Andrew Levine and Diane Seymour, I thank you so much for coming down and chatting about Virtuosa, and best of luck in the festival. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for having us. On the positive side. Hey, this is Marty Cooper once again. On the positive side, I'll say it now, so I won't have to. I won't forget to say it later. If you have any opinions about what I have to say or any suggestions, uh, you can email me personally at uh, broadwaymarty at aol.com. I don't know if last time I was here, I thought Drew Sarek was one of the best Valjeans I had ever seen. It's not. The voice, it's not the acting, although they're both great. It's, he gives the character a whole new dimension, something we had never seen in that character before. After seeing it many times, uh, you take home something totally different from the show. Uh, and I'm just sorry that he's not going past October. On the other hand, I hear in the Les Mis rumor mill, that someone he had seen in London a few times, John Owen Jones, is coming in to play the part come late October, early November. He is absolutely fabulous, although in a more traditional Valjean sense. I mean, uh, if you're used to the character, if you're used to seeing a certain thing, he kind of fills the bill. His voice is wonderful. His acting is fantastic. But as I say, he's more in the tradition of what you've gotten to know if, if you've seen the show a few times. So I am looking forward to that. And another thing in the rumor mill, although I'm not sure whether it's coming to pass, although I've read it from several sources, that uh, Rosie O'Donnell is coming in as Madame Tenardier, which should be interesting. Uh, she's wanted to play the role for a few years. That's probably one of her favorite shows. And uh, it'll be kind of interesting to see her do that. Actually, in my, in my opinion, I, I think she'll be just fine in the part. Speaking of Drew Sarek, though, uh, I will put in a little plug. He has a, a rock group called International Victim. You can find it at The Colony. Uh, we, have it on our, we have it on our front shelves. In actuality, in the last few days, we put it up on the website. It's kind of flying out the door. A couple of weeks ago, I had mentioned that, that we don't have many revivals coming in where we had a, a ton of them last year. But two major ones, South Pacific, which will be at Lincoln Center, and uh, this spring we'll have, we'll have the London production of Guys and Dolls, 
uh, with people like John C. Riley and Patrick Wilson. It should be interesting. I saw the production in London because we want to see you, Ewan McGregor, and I must say, I, I think he's a fine actor and he's a great personality, but seeing him in Guys and Dolls, in my opinion anyway, had his name not been Ewan McGregor, he probably wouldn't have got through the audition. He was just okay. He was kind of a nice presence on stage, uh, but singing-wise and uh, acting-wise in that particular part, it just didn't work, for, at least for me. You know, I, actually, I went to the show with kind of a bad feeling because we, we were looking forward to seeing Jane Krakowski. I subsequently spoke to Jane in the States. She said the night we went to see Guys and Dolls was the one night that she missed. And uh, we were really kind of looking forward to seeing her. But anyway, uh, I'm trying to think who's playing her part here. I think it's Deborah Messing, uh, screen actress Deborah Messing. I, so actually, uh, someone had mentioned the other day in the paper that we have a great influx of dramas this year, uh, early on in the season. But uh, I think the spring will kind of make up for, for all of that uh, with In the Heights opening. And I have great hopes for that show. I, I really enjoyed it off-Broadway, and I really hope it makes it on-Broadway. Uh, I want to mention one thing, one other rumor that I hear, and to me it's a wonderful one. Uh, I've always been a fan of Children of Eden, the Stephen Schwartz, John Caird musical, which actually opened in London in 1991, uh, and then it played a number of years back at, at the Paper Mill Playhouse, I think with Stephanie Mills, and you had Hunter Foster, Darius DeHaas. Um, it was a wonderful cast, actually. From what I hear, uh, somewhere in the 2008-2009 season, it's coming to Broadway. Uh, I've always been a big fan of that score. Uh, as much as I like Wicked, I think Children of Eden has a, uh, a lot more substantial score. Enjoyed it through the years and I'm looking forward to a Broadway debut and a successful one. Uh, I think in the light that Wicked is so successful that you can have a go with this one. That's about all my meanderings for this week. Until next week, stay on the positive side. On the Positive Side is brought to you by The Colony, online at colonymusic.com or in the heart of the theater district at 49th and Broadway. You can always say, I found it at The Colony. On the boards. All right, I think it is official. I think we can say that the sci-fi B-movie musical has now needs a genre of its own. One of the greatest, latest examples is The Brain from Planet X at Nymph. And with us are actors Barry Pearl and Amy Bodner, along with the writer and director Bruce Kimmel. How are you guys doing? Great, Michael. Nice to be here. All right. So I guess the first question is going to be kind of twofold. One is uh, tell us a little bit about Brain of Planet X and what is the attraction of the whole sci-fi B-movie thing? Because like I said, I can think of like a handful of shows recently that have kind of sprung up in this area. There have been a lot of uh, uh, of these uh, recently, <clears throat> much to our surprise. But we actually, uh, this was written as a movie back in 1989. And uh, it was bad. It was really a bad movie. So it Aren't they supposed to be? Yeah, but it was <laughs> bad in the wrong way. Uh, and at that point, it was called Plan 10 from Outer Space. 
And we, I put it away, and then this uh, writing partner that I write with occasionally, David Wechter, I showed it to him, and he loved the idea of it. And then so we re- resuscitated it as a stage show. And we had written a movie called The Faculty together uh, that was made by Robert Rodriguez. So we were in that genre mode. <clears throat> and at least, I, I will say this in our defense of doing another one of these, is that we're the right age, and we actually remember seeing these movies at the time. <laughs> I hate to say, but... Uh, <laughs> so I grew up as a kid loving going to the Lido Theater in Los Angeles and seeing Invaders from Mars and Them and, all, you know, Brain from Planet Eros and Plan 9 and all those movies. I saw them all in the movie theaters, and I loved them and made fun of them then as a child. While other people were playing cowboys and Indians, I was trying to zap my parents with a ray gun. And uh, so that's how the show came about. And we, we, we treat it with affection. It's not just a spoof. It's a very affectionate show and uh, hopefully very funny. <laughs> well, before we continue, why don't we play one of the songs from not just a demo. This is actually a cast album. Uh, somewhere that's on Critzlin Records, your label. Yes. And uh, you want to tell us about the first song we're going to play here? It's the title song, and it sets up the evening for the audience, uh, as most good opening numbers should. Hopefully it's a good opening number. Okay. You will quake with fear, you will shake with fright When the tale is told of that fateful night Twenty million miles to Earth they traveled And not just to say hello They had a plan and their plan was clear Yes, they had a purpose for being here When they came from their forbidden planet Their plan, it started to grow
Now, we've got a talented cast in this production, including the two of you who stopped by to chat. And Amy, uh, our listeners may remember you recently when you came on and performed uh, for Sessions. Yes. <laughs> the musical. Yes. And, uh, Barry, I understand that you've got a, a few things in your child actor past. Yes, indeed. Sorted, though they may be. I um, uh, began the career uh, in 61, replacing Johnny Borden in the role of Randolph McAfee in Bye Bye Birdie for the last month on Broadway and then the national tour in the Vegas Company, and then the original company of Oliver that opened in 62. And um, uh, more recently, the role of duty in the movie Grease, as well as the first national tour playing Sonny. But I must mention, by the way, that the, the cut that you just played, um, uh, the, the narrator on that, the lead singer, the first person you hear is a fellow by the name of B.J. Clark, who's also doing our production. There are a couple of folks from the original production that Bruce had done back in Los Angeles, who we are fortunate enough to have um, doing the show here. And... Uh, you can name a couple of those folks, if you wish, um, that um, we have playing Donna. Uh, yeah, we have Merrill Clark from the L.A. Company, Alette Taylor, and... Uh, Kaysen. Kaysen Murphy. Kaysen Murphy was Zubrick. Zubrick, exactly. <laughs> and Alette played played Played, played Yanni. Yanni. Exactly. But, but a- Amy and I are, are the newbies to this group. <laughs> and we so are a happy company. I indeed. will tell you, this is the, the, the happiest bunch of actors I've ever worked with in my life. Yes, I am very happy. Very happy. <laughs> we are, yeah. So, Amy and Barry, what are the roles you're playing in this show, and what are some of the fun things you get to do? Oh, this? I play Joyce Bunsen, who is um, sort of your Donna Reed-type housewife character. Is there a Bunsen burner joke in there? Uh, there might be. <laughs> what made you think that? Um, what else do you think of with Bunsen? Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> so uh, it's a really enjoyable um, ride for me because it's entirely different than, I mean, it's just the polar opposite of the character that you mentioned, Sessions. It's a very, very different um, kind of a part for me to play. And um, what happens is she's the perfect housewife, and then she gets zapped by the aliens, and she sort of transforms into a more contemporary woman, actually, who doesn't do everything for her husband the way that um, she had done in the past, but also completely controlled by the brain, played by... Me. <laughs> I'm, I play the evil, the evil brain. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's it, it's so much fun. Uh, well, well, not only doing this terrific piece w- w- with a terrific book and great music, but to be able to come back home, basically, because I moved out to California in '76 to try my hand in TV and film, and I keep being pulled back onto the stage. And to be able to come back here when Bruce asked me to do this, I jumped at the opportunity. Because um, you know, Nymph is what it is, and the the New York Musical Theater Festival, and to be a part of it sounded like a cool idea. So to be able to come to work every day in Midtown and you know Absolutely. is just a joy and especially with this particular project. All right. Well, let's jump in. We're going to play another song from the soundtrack available on Critzerland. And uh, you want to tell us a little bit about this next song we're going to play? This is actually, uh, <clears throat> even though on the recording it's not sung by Barry, it's sung by the actor who did it in L.A. before I even knew Barry was a possibility. Thank God he was. Um, <laughs> so it's a v- different voice than Barry's, but it's The Brain's song. So much to do, so much to think about. I have a migraine. Too much pressure. You think it's easy being a brain? You always have to have an answer for everything. You always have to make decisions. You always have to rule. 
Oh, for the old days when being a brain was simpler. To be a brain's not easy. No, to be a brain is tough. It's never light and breezy. It's really pretty rough. It's just work, 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 and think, think, think. It's no wonder many brains start to drink, drink, drink. Yes, a brain must be a ruler and have a mighty wrath. But when I was younger, I had a hunger to take a different path. I was young, I was gay and a dreamer. Just a brain who was carefree, no schemer. I floated on air, not a care or concern that was me. As a young brain, I didn't have issues. Just a brain with some lovely brain tissues. I had lots of fun, life was wonderful and fancy free. Now I'm a ruler, a leader, a brain on a mission to conquer the world as we know it. Can fall short in my plan No, I can't be the first brain to blow it I can't fail, I can't flop Can't let anyone stop me Or top me, I gotta succeed And I will, yes indeed Way back when I was chipper and cheerful Now I'm bad and I make people fearful But sometimes they yearn to return To the brain I was then To the brain that I am once again Here we go, everybody sing along Just follow the bouncing brain Way back when I was cheaper No, wait, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold, hold that I know you're out there, I can hear you breathing Come on, you can do better than that It's not brain surgery Here we go Everybody sing! Way back when I was chipper and cheerful Good! Now I'm bad and I make people fearful But sometimes they yearn to return To the brain I was then Okay, I'll take it home by myself now But sometimes I yearn to return To the brain I was But no, I can't and I shan't I won't because brains must be strong, never wrong That's the price that we pay Stand by, it's time to take over the San Fernando Valley And so this brain will remain in the earth will be mine Today All right so if people are looking to catch the madness and uh, see the brain from Planet X here at Nymph, what are the starting and end dates? Uh, we begin September 20th, 20th yeah. uh, at the Acorn Theater on Theater Row, uh, which I'm told is a nice place to be. Uh, and we end on the 30th. We do six performances between the 20th and the 30th. 
All right. So it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun for everybody involved. You should definitely check it out. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's very yeah. fun. We're having a blast, yeah. I will say. And even Michael, sitting in the booth, sang along with the Brain song. <laughs> I was very impressed. And if we do another production, you may want to consider hiring, hiring Michael to be our, our ringer. Yeah. I hear he's the brains of the outfit. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's a no-brainer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, on, on all those puns, <laughs> we'll wrap up. And thanks so much, uh, Barry Pearl. Amy Bodner and Bruce Kimmel for stopping by and talking about the brain from Planet X. Thank, Thank you, you, Michael. Thank you. And the soundtrack is on Critchland. We'll have a link yes. on our website. Good. Top of the trades. As you heard with our interview with Kate Schindle, MTV will likely broadcast a performance of the new musical Legally Blonde, reports the New York Post. The network will be filming a performance this month with no air date announced. The show's producers have said that this announcement is premature, stating that if there is an agreement reached between the network and the producers, there could be the possibility of the show being aired in its entirety on MTV. Why is MTV breaking all the theater news this week? Daniel Radcliffe of Harry Potter fame told MTV News that he would be transferring with the West End production of Equus to New York. Coming along for the trip across the Great Lake is co-star Richard Griffiths. Radcliffe said that however many cast members they can bring, they will. There are no dates yet for the show's opening. The Hitchcockian thriller The 39 Steps comes to Broadway at the American Airlines Theater. Presented by Roundabout Theater Company, the production will arrive on Broadway by the holidays after an out-of-town tryout with the show's British lead, Charles Edwards. It's not clear yet whether Edwards will continue with the show as it makes its way to Broadway. Top of the Trades is brought to you by BroadwayWorld.com. For all the latest in theater news and for theater community chats and message boards, visit BroadwayWorld.com. And tune in to Top of the Trades for the best news stories each week. Curtain call. Well, I'm happy to not have to report any closings this week. It's been a packed episode. In fact, we got the bonus episode, so be sure to check that out. You don't want to miss the interview with Drew Sarek and with Matthew Morrison and AC Ciula. A lot of great stuff there. Uh, Matthew Morrison, Tony nominee for Light in the Piazza. All right. We got more Nymph coverage coming to you next week with Volume 4. Until then, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and thanks for hopping on board the Broadway Bullet. Actually, the barfait thing comes from my whole life. People just going vulture, boggler. So it didn't take much, though, when he um, proposed. I said yes. It's fun to know that those lines will stay in the show when other actors do it in the future. The hairs went up on the back of my neck. It was a thrilling moment. with the audience and explore them a little bit. So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc. to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, 
you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans, if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.